from Local 12 Sports. It's the Skinny Podcast. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Roaring. As always, it's presented by Blake, the attorney, Maislin. we got a lot to talk about. we got, obviously, some Bengals on the bye week. We've got some college football, some college basketball, our betting segment, and my favorite portion of the podcast, where you can go to the Twitterverse and hit up the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. Um, Rick, we got a lot to get to, so I'll let you take it away. Yeah, a lot of good stuff this week. We'll start with the Bengals. They pulled out an ugly 17-13 win thanks to the defense coming up with multiple red zone stops on Sunday. They're now 3-3 three and three headed into the bye week. They'll then play at San Francisco and host Buffalo the following two weeks after the bye. Um, Skinny, following that win over Seattle, how confident are you that this team will make the playoffs? Give me a number one through ten. Um, I'll go 7.5. I'll go seven and a half. I was going to um, say, maybe I should eliminate seven because that feels like the obvious answer here. Yeah, seven, seven and a half. So I'll go seven and a half. All right. Um, you know, when I when I did that preseason prediction, I keep going back to it. And again, there's a lot of mitigating circumstances we have to talk about here with the struggles of the offense, et cetera. Um, but they, they played in the first half what I consider two likely wins, and they won both of those, the Rams and Arizona. Um, and my other four games were, were all swing games. I had six swing games, and four of them were before the bye week. They unfortunately went one and three in those. I had them going four and three in swing games to get to an 11 and six number. So maybe maybe two and four in swing games gets me to a 10 and seven number, and that should be more than comfortable enough to make the playoffs and still maybe even win this division depending on how it shakes out. I think one thing that gives me a lot of confidence personally is we just saw this team do this last year. Right. We just saw them get to the bye week, figured things out, go on a big run. And by the way, that big run they went on last year felt improbable because we talked all year about how difficult that back end of the schedule was going to be and how they had to be in a good position before they got to that point in the season. And lo and behold, it didn't matter. Their playmakers made plays uh, at the end of the season and they just went on that great run. So that, if nothing else, we've seen this exact group of guys for the most part and this group of coaches figure it out and get on a roll and win tough games, uh, even on the road and and all the things that they did last year, I think gives me a lot of confidence personally. Um, and Rick, skinny- Rick, Rick, the, Rick, the pony off that, they kind of did that the year before. They were five and four at the bye in 2021, went five and three after the bye, but you have to take one of those losses with a grain of salt. It was the last game against Cleveland when they didn't play any starters and already clinched. So in games that mattered, they went five and two with one of those in overtime loss to San Francisco. So literally the last two years, if you take out that last Cleveland game, which I think is fair to do because it didn't mean anything, they're 13 and two after the bye. I don't think that's by happenstance. I don't. No, I would agree with you. And that's part of the reason why I would say, you know, if I'm, will this team make the playoffs? I'd put that number, like you said, above the seven. I would go eight, maybe not quite eight, maybe it's 7.5, like you said, but I would be above that, that seven number that probably most people would have it at right now. What's your biggest concern from the first six games, Skinny? Oh, clearly the offense and 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 what what do they have outside of Jamar Chase that you can hang your hat on? I, I would think a healthy T. Higgins would be a big part of this offense in the second half of the last 11 games. It's not the second half. I'm going to keep saying that. There's 11 games to go with more than half. I, I certainly think a, a healthy T. Higgins would go towards that. But, um, you know, I, I'm not all – a gog about the whole tight end mishap and what's going on there. And boy, they missed on Sam Laporta and all those things. Um, Cause it's just not a position of, of, of 
heightened need on this team. I mean, you're asking for three catches and 25 yards a game, for goodness sakes. I don't know if Irv Smith can be that guy to deliver that. I do think they need to find a backup running back. They've tried by committee with Travion Williams, um, with with Chase Brown, very little of Chris Evans, and they've used Drew Sample as a blocker. I, I truly think they need someone to fill that role. Um, and and I, it, it just seems so easy to me to just trade a draft pick to, to Denver to get Samaj P. Ryan back. It just seems so logical to me. It, it does. It fills everything you need. And let's not forget last year as the season evolved and let's not forget the AFC championship game. Samaj P. Ryan played almost double the snaps to Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon is not an effective runner any longer. And if you're going to ask him to even have a bigger workload, which they are right now, He's going to wear down as the season goes along. So in an effect of Joe Mixon getting tired is going to be even worse, in my opinion. It kind of seems like we're already hitting that point. I mean, there are times right now where I'm looking like, oh, he kind of looks worn down, like he doesn't have any pop left when he's running. And I, we already knew this about Joe Mixon. It's been the same the last few years, but he's not the type of guy that's going to get you any extra yardage. It's <laughs> like me, he, me, he gets you to where the- he can get you. Let me give you the quote of the year from Brian Catlahan. This was rolling Joe Mixon under the bus without rolling him under the bus by name. He talked to us all on Monday. We talked to both coordinators after Zach Taylor's press conference, and he was asked about the running game. I'm going to get to some things that he thinks are maybe fixable that we can talk about with the offense here in a bit. But he even said, you know, we get what's blocked, you know, four or five yards. We get what's blocked. And that to, me, that, that to me was like, yeah. And if you look, if I were to ask you, maybe you know the answer to this, because I did a story on the offense yesterday and I looked up the stat. This is from Pro Football Reference. I think other people have cited this stat as well. Do you know how many tackles Joe Mixon's broken this season? It feels like zero. I'm going to assume he has one or two, but it feels like zero. Two. He has two broken tackles. Yeah. Um, he's among the worst in yards after contact. And, and again, I, I don't, I'm not trying to, to crap on Joe Mixon here. I'm really not. I mean, it just is what it is. Running backs get to a certain stage and they lose the juice. It just happens. And I think he's at that stage, especially if you're going to, and maybe not give him as many touches as, as he has. He's playing 75% of the offensive snaps. He played about 58% last year. I mean, you're asking him to do too much by default because you don't, you don't trust any of the other guys to take the snaps off his work plate. Well, a lot of times when this happens with running back skinny, it happens – uh, almost out of nowhere, right? right? The guy's really good one year, and then the next year, all of a sudden, he just doesn't have it anymore, and everyone's looking around going, well, what happened to that guy? He was a great running back the last few seasons, and then it's just gone. The Bengals don't have that excuse. They knew Joe Mixon. What? Uh, let's face it. They asked him to take a pay cut after last year to come back right. this year, so they knew he wasn't the same guy. They knew he was getting along in the t- – they knew he didn't have that type of pop to make guys miss or run through tackles anymore – and they knew that they probably needed a third down back or something else to go with Joe Mixon after losing Samaj P. Ryan. And they really did nothing except for draft Chase Brown. And I'll admit it, when they drafted Chase Brown, I was hopeful about that selection. I, I saw too. some things to like on film, and I was thinking, okay, maybe this is the guy that they needed. But that clearly hasn't panned out the way that they had hoped. And I, I don't know if the answer is Samaj P. Ryan. It seems way too obvious for it to not be. Um, but I guess – what do you think the likelihood is that they will make something happen, that they will find another solution there? Yeah, I, I don't. It's just not their M.O. I mean, and, they, and they've done a lot of things to change their M.O., right? I mean, Mike Brown stepping away from things and some of the things they, you know, that they've they've allowed this coaching staff to go do and their di- deep dive into free agency over the last few years to fill the voids that, that need to be filled. So they've, they've kind of gone away from from the from the M.O. of the past, but they love their draft picks and they don't feel like trading draft picks for, for guys that are 
bit part players in their opinion is worth it. I hope they change that because again, the, the, the question mark of uh, coming in this season at running back was who's going to replace Samaj P Ryan, right? Well, guess who could replace Samaj P Ryan at the moment? Samaj P Ryan. <laughs> it, it seems pretty easy and pretty logical to, to make that move. You know, Leonard Fournette's still out there and, and he, you know, he's a good pass blocker and probably has at least a little something left in the tank. It's not a lot, but maybe enough to take something off Joe Mixon's plate. Now I will say to this point, and in talking to Brian Callahan, and I and I'm glad I was going to ask the question. Somebody else asked it before me, but it was on my mind for sure. You know, they have not been able to go under center very much this year because of Burrow's calf. And now, and you can ask, well, why didn't they do it in the Seattle game? His calf was better in Arizona. I think that was just get through. Let's let's get this thing through Seattle. See where we're at. Brian even mentioned, yeah, we will probably go under center more. I do think that in defense of Joe Mixon, I think he's a better downhill runner than he is from running out of the shotgun. Um, lining up under center gives you more variety of runs um, than, than really you do out of the shotgun. And then it also opens up the play action passing game, which T Higgins really thrives in as well. Um, it, for whatever reason, he's the guy that seems to get the, the looks on play action stuff. So I do think there's some things to unlock this offense. It doesn't mean you're going to see Joe Burrow under center 95% of the time. It's still going to be probably a shotgun dominated offense, but I do think, that is going to help both the running game. And as Brian also said, he said, you know, that also marries up some of the play actions and it does allow you to do some more stuff with, with the run. So in defense of Joe Mixon, him being able to run downhill instead of from a standing start, like the shotgun, hopefully helps him as well. You've brought up T Higgins a few times now. Is he having his Jesse Bates here? That's a great question. That was asked of him the other day and he, he, you know, he suggested that no, it's not on his mind. It's been weird, you know, that first game where he had whatever it was, eight tar- targets and no completions. It wasn't because he dropped the ball. It was really because Joe wasn't very good and they weren't on the same page. You know, he follows that up with, what, an eight-catch game against Baltimore. Um, and then the last two games, obviously, he missed the Arizona game because of the ribs. He wasn't 100% this past game either. Um, they kept rotating him in. I- I'm going to give him a little bit of a pass for these first six games because game one was so wonky. The last two were injury-riddled. That leaves us with a very small sample size, and in one of those games, he came through with eight catches. So I I, I do think you'll see the T. Higgins of old coming out of the break, and again, part of that maybe is he'll be helped by Joe Burrow going under center and unlocking the play-action passing game. The problem with T. Higgins right now is he what makes him great is making tough, contested catches and going up and winning 50-50 balls. And right now, it could just be because he's banged up, and that would be fair. But it feels an awful lot like he's out there making business decisions because yeah, he's banged up, and it's taken away the effectiveness in those situations. And to your point on the Jesse Bates question, I mean, Jesse actually spoke that to us at the bye week, you know, whatever that was a couple of years ago, where he talked about that was in his head, and then he decided after that to, to just go out and play. And he played, obviously, at a very high level. And I, I think if I'm T and I'm talking to my agent at this point, it's if that's even part of his mind, I think it would be, listen, dude, you got 11 games to prove you will, you're going to get a big paycheck from another team or else your market value is going to be devalued. So let's see what he, let's see if that does flip a switch. And maybe it does. And again, I'm giving him a pass for, for this past game. Again, I, I think it was a credit to T that he went out and played with a banged up rib and, and um, was actually in some discomfort doing so. And now you get the bye week to heal up even more. I, I think you'll see hundred percent physical T Higgins coming out of the bye. And I expect him to perform at a high level. So when I asked you about your biggest concern, through the first six games, you mentioned the offense. You went immediately into them not having anything other than Jamar Chase. Is that the biggest issue with the offense right now, in your opinion, is just the lack of production from guys not named Jamar Chase? 
Yeah. And, and again, just they haven't been able to do much down the field because of the way things have gone. You know, Jamar's only averaging 11 yards a catch and and it's not a knock. I mean, the dude has 50, 50 catches. All the other receivers combined on this team, all of them, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Charlie Jones, uh, Yoshibash, have 56 catches for, for barely over 400 yards. They're averaging, as, as a group, the wide receivers of this team are averaging less than 10 yards per catch. That tells me they haven't been able to do what they want to do on offense. And that's that would give me the 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 reason for optimism of, all right, now you got a healthy burrow. Now you got a healthy T now you can go under center and do more things and have more variety on offense. You can maybe throw some of those deep crossers off play action and unlock this offense to get some big plays. Cause there have been very few big plays. There was the, obviously the big touchdown pass to chase, but there have been very few big plays in this offense. They need more of that in, in the, in the last 11 games. And I do think they'll get it based on what they should be able to do. Yeah, so that that would be more my overall point here and takeaway at the bye week when you're talking about what's wrong with this team or w- why there might be some optimism that they will get this figured out is we've had a healthy Joe Burrow, and I mean healthy from the standpoint of it looks like he can at least move and not yeah. be a sitting duck back there, play his game to some extent for two weeks in my opinion. The last two games. Before that, I don't think he was anywhere near being himself or playing the same way. Yeah, Baltimore was close, and, and he actually had a pretty good game against Baltimore other than the interception. Right, but I, I think even still in that, because, I mean, after that, we still saw he wasn't moving. No, he got There was still a lot of talk about the, the calf. So I, I feel like the last two games were the first games where it felt like we didn't have to have the calf as a major talking point coming out of it. He was moving normal. He was making some guys miss, evading sacks and pressure and, and all of that. So when you look at it from that, and, and by the way, I mean, they, they won, you know, I mean, obviously they, they figured out a way to beat the Seahawks too. Like that would give me more confidence than anything, because I think a lot of this goes back to, and even in the Seahawks game, Burrow, after those first two drives was really not good. He didn't look no. anything like himself in terms of th- yeah, uh, being cool. on target and on time. I, I feel like a lot of that has to do with the injury him not getting the amount of reps or the amount of time with his receivers that he normally would earlier in the year, not being on the same page maybe. And that's the one thing that if you tell me like what will be fixed going forward the rest of the year, Joe Burrow is going to be great. I have zero concerns about if Joe Burrow is a legit quarterback in the NFL or if he can be good enough to lead this team to great things. That is the one thing I'm absolutely 100% confident in going forward. And yeah, I think the offense was a big concern. Yes, I think the fact that there isn't production from any other guys aside from Jamar Chase is a big concern. But the biggest part of all of that is Joe Burrow, in my opinion, and the fact that he wasn't right through these first six games. Now that he's right, now that he has a little more time to get on the same page with his guys, I think that should bring a lot of optimism with it for Bengals fans. And, and give him more variety in the offense other than standing in the shotgun, running RPOs, and, and running quick slants. I, I think that's the other yeah. part to it as well. I, I agree with that, although I feel like that's a talking point every year. Every year the coaching no, staff wants to talk about, we're going to do more under center, we're going to do more play action, and every year they get to the point where it goes, you know what, we just got to do what Joe's most comfortable with, and he likes to go empty. Yeah, but you got to be able to do it some, and I think that's the point. They've been able to do it almost next to none, because just because they, they didn't want to put him under center and, and cause the stress on the calf. Skinny, switching gears a little bit here on the Bengals side of things, do you feel good about the defense now after what we saw this past Sunday against the Seahawks where they had – all of those red zone stops and kept coming up big time after time also made a couple of big plays when they needed it. Yes and no, but they still keep giving up explosive plays. I mean, you know, that last red zone stop was great and all, and listen, they deserve all the credit in the world for that. I mean, that's just incredible. A first and goal at the four, a first and goal at the seven, a first and goal at the nine and a, and a first and 10 at the 11. But you know how they got down to the 11 was, it was, it was a whole shot to Tyler Lockett down the middle of the field that, that, that put him in that position. 
Um, and yeah, they, as, as Lou Anaruma loves to point out, yards don't equal points, and I'm all for that. And that's what that this MO is. Um, the, the yes of it is they did have a good tackling game. They only had four or five missed tackles that had to improve and has to continue to improve moving forward. When they've played with the lead, as they had the last couple of games, the pass rush has really turned it up a notch. And I think that's that's worth noting, especially Trey Hendrickson, who's been great. I think you've seen great moments from, from Cam Taylor, Britt, et cetera. So I do think this was a big confidence boost for the defense. But at some point, the bend but don't break is going to get you. You need to start getting some stops. Yes, and I mean, I agree with you to some extent on that, but at the same time, this Seahawks performance felt so much like a vintage Luana Rumo win because of the bend but don't break. It was the constant, like, they're in danger, they're in danger, but each time they would hold them off just long enough to let the Seahawks blink first before the Bengals had the big mistake. And the, the first few weeks, it felt like that wasn't the case. They were the ones making the mistakes and giving up the points, but against the Seahawks, they were back to looking like Luana Rumo's defense of the last two years and maybe that's just wishful thinking on my part because that's no, the way it played out but i it, something about the way that game looked made me feel good about the defense it's like that's the way louis room defenses look yeah and that's in the complimentary portion of it again is uh, it, it's 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 just different playing from ahead i mean as a pass rusher you get to just turn turn it loose when you're when you're down you know they got their whole playbook open to them and and, and so then it becomes a huge guessing game on everybody's part so some of this lack of productivity from the defense. I think you can also point to the finger to the offense and go, they didn't do anything in a couple of games. It literally, I mean, two games with a field goal apiece, they didn't do anything. And it put the defense clearly behind the eight ball. So yeah, I, again, I, I don't think this is a top five defense in the NFL, but I think it's a top 10 ish. And I think it, it has, it, it has, it's shown flashes of that. And I think can play to the potential of that in the second half. Um, skinny, just looking here at the bye week, we talked about the trade deadline coming up end of the month, whether the Bengals would make a move or not. You seem to think that's pretty unlikely, correct? Yeah. I mean, that's just yeah. not what they do. Yeah, correct. Is there anything else to look at here for Bengals fans? We talked about the offense. We talked about the defense. talked about the trade deadline. Is there anything else to keep an eye on that might be a game changer, so to speak, coming out of the bye week? Yeah, I don't think it's a game changer, but but part of me wonders if, if we've seen the last of Irv Smith. Just the answer that Zach gave on Monday was odd to me. Um, and, you know, I do think they, they want to get Tanner Hudson up here. They can only get him on a standard elevation one more time off the practice squad. They could elevate him permanently from the practice squad, but then you'd have to, to let somebody go. And it just feels like, I mean, Irv Smith has literally been useless through the first six games. I mean, he did miss two of those with injury, but uh, I mean, he doesn't get open when he does. He dropped the ball the other day. You know, part of, part of the rapport with Joe Burrow is trust. Um, and if he stops trusting Irv Smith, which I don't think he trusts him right now. Yeah, I think, we're, I think we're past that point. I mean, you know, Trent Irwin is one of the most pedestrian players probably in the NFL across the board. And yet, for whatever reason, that dude has built a trust factor with Joe Burrow. So when he plays, Joe trusts him, and he keeps making plays for him. So the trust continues to grow. The moment, Irv Smith can't get open. And when he does, he drops the football. And so I get why they did it. I know revisionist history is, boy, they sure missed on Sam Laporta. Okay, but that was never in the cards, man. It just wasn't. And you can not like it if you'd like. That's fine. I can't change your mind on that. Um, you know, they've done a good job of preemptive striking some things, which is why Dax Hill is now starting, why DJ Turner has quickly jumped into the lineup. They're, they've been done a good job of looking down the road at the roster and not just at the short term. I know we're all in. 
But listen, it, it's just not all in for a season. It's an all in for a window of, of seasons. And so they just don't value tight end. But I will tell you this, the best tight end I've seen on this roster is clearly the guy on the practice squad and Tanner Hudson. And so it's time, I think, to, to put him and put him and make him be the, the number one guy. You brought up an interesting point there, though, there real quick. The draft strategy. Do you think that they regret the Miles Murphy pick right now? Or do you think they see him as a guy similar to like a Dax Hale, Dax Hill or a Cam Taylor Britt that, hey, in a year or two, he's going to be a stud and we're going to be relying on him. And that was good enough for us at the time. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I've had some people that have texted me that, that, you know, is it, is it, can you classify him as a bust? And I, I said, no, it's six games into his career. My goodness. Six, he's playing behind Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard, who you, you can argue maybe need to have some snaps taken off their plate. But as, as Lou pointed out that last drive, he went to the four defensive linemen and said, this game's on you guys. I'm not subbing you go win the game for us. And they did at the end down by the goal line with the pressure that they put on, you know, now that Joseph Osai's back, I don't think he's played great, but, but he's ahead of Miles Murphy in the pecking order and probably should be. That's just the way that this game works. And so, you know, Miles Murphy's not gotten a ton of action. He got one snap on Sunday. That is disappointing to see in a way, but I get it. And so, yeah, I, I, it's way too early for that. I, well, I had a buddy of mine that I, he's I, a bust. I, I'm like, how do you say he's a bust? You haven't seen him play enough to know if he's a bust. I, I totally agree that calling him a bust is insane. I'm more interested in the Bengals, and you wouldn't know this necessarily, but from their vantage point right now, if you gave them all truth serum in the front office, do you think they're happy with the Miles Murphy pick, or do you think they feel like, looking back, we should have got someone that was able to contribute immediately on this year's team? Yeah, the revisionist history would clearly say Sam Laporta was easily the the pick. I mean, if you could do it today and go, all right, I know what Sam Laporta is. I know that we... I, you know, I know, you know, maybe they didn't think they could get Trey Hendrickson extended the way they did, because I always believed that that pick was to replace Trey Hendrickson after this season. It's not. I think Trey and Trey's got a couple more years. I don't know if he sees, you know, the, the final year of his contract here because it's it's so expensive. Maybe it does. You know, maybe they didn't think they could get that done and just wanted to make sure they, they did a preemptive strike on all these things. And I, I I get that. That's what happens when you have a good roster. But, yeah, if you had to do it today and you put a gun to their head and said, hey, man, you have to make one pick that's going to help your team, Sam Laporta or Miles Murphy. And if they said Miles Murphy, sorry. No, it would be <laughs> Sam Laporta is clearly the answer. But that's 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 too easy to do revisionist history on that. I'm not talking about you personally. I've had a lot of people say that to me. Yeah. I'm like, they just don't value. The tight end position in this offense is normally the fourth progression. Is that Are we really going nuts over a fourth progression guy who's going to average three catches for 30 yards a game, even if it is Sam Laporta? I mean, truthfully. Yeah, I I would love Sam Laporta. He's been one of my favorite like prop players to bet on all year because he hits his over on receptions over yep. yard seemingly every game. I so I would love him. Teams. I love him. Yeah, I would love for the Bengals to have him. And I would also love for the Bengals to have a better weapon at that tight end spot. That would be great. But I would also agree with you. I don't think that's the thing holding the Bengals back right now. No. I think no. they can figure it out without having a big playmaking tight end uh, just as they have in years past. So I – I think there's way too much hand-wringing going on about the fact that they didn't draft Michael Mayer or Sam Laporta. I would agree. And then, by the way, I was someone who at the time said, I'd rather have pass rush than another tight end. So I'm not going to be complaining about that now and and doing the revisionist history thing. I think they – I don't know if Miles Murphy was the right call at the time, but I think their draft strategy was completely fine with the way they went about it. And now you just have to figure it out from there. You can't get it back. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's switch gears here to college football. We had an interesting week of college football. We'll start with the Bearcats. How about that? They lose to Iowa State 30-10 to in front of the hometown crowd at Nippert. 
Skinny Cincinnati passed for just 99 yards in this game. They only ran for 115. So the offense was bad in general, but only being able to throw for 99 yards, three for 13 on third downs. Um, Emory Jones was just 14 for 26 for 96 yards with a touchdown and two interceptions. It just feels like it's going to be really hard to win games in the Big 12 Conference if you can't move the football through the air at all. No, it, it clearly is. I mean, that's always been a passing league, A, and B, you don't run it consistently enough or stick with the run consistently enough. I mean, I, what is their identity on offense at the moment? Can you the give me the only right? thing? The only thing they have right now that works at all is Emory Jones running. Make yeah. one read and then take off running. Yeah. No, I think you're right, and that's not much of an offensive identity to have, uh, for goodness sakes. Listen, I, I'm sorry I was right on Emory Jones. I wish I wasn't. I mean, I I, I saw that act. I just did, and it's just – it doesn't you play at a high it. level. When he plays the Eastern Kentuckys of the world, he's the best athlete on the field by a mile. You know, that, that first overthrow on third down, and I, I don't think Scott Satterfield's wrong. He's like, that felt like it changed the whole complexion of the game. They had a chance to hit a home run right off the bat at home, get the crowd juiced, and instead you overthrow a guy who's open by 20 yards, and then you throw an interception on the next drive. Yeah. One thing I have an issue with, though, is Scott Satterfield, he – chose Emory Jones as his guy. Emory Jones had been to multiple schools already. You knew that he had bounced around for a reason. And you claimed like, this is the guy that I'm going to run my offense through this year. I've got one chance to do it this first season. We're bringing in this grad transfer guy who's been around and he's the guy that's going to run this system. And then now it's like, you hear Scott Satterfield kind of complain, throwing Emory under the bus a little bit, throwing the rest of the players under the bus, saying we don't have explosive playmakers. We can't get any big plays to get our offense going. It's like, my man, you you chose, you brought him here, and you knew exactly what he was coming in. I think it's on you to kind of make this offense work with him at quarterback. Yeah, that's what I wonder if if you give maybe, do you put more on Emory's plate as opposed to the one read and go? Um, or do you... You utilize him more in the run game and 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 roll the dice there, or do you just turn and, and say, you know what, maybe we don't get explosive plays from our running backs, which he said, um, which yeah, clearly rolled some guys under the bus. All right, maybe you you don't, but can you get six, seven, eight, five, four, seven, six, eight, nine, and get a drive together doing that? I, I it certainly would look better than Emory Jones dropping back and throwing the ball thirty plus times a game. Also, they have got to figure out something in the red zone. I have no yeah. I have no idea what they're trying to do in the red zone offense. It is as bad as I've ever seen. And it it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you can criticize the players. You can say you don't have explosive playmakers, and all that may be true. Maybe even your offensive line isn't great. But the schematics, the game planning in the red zone is a does I mean it's embarrassingly bad, and that's on the coaching staff. I mean, just no pure, what you have no plan of attack when you get around the red zone. Um, and to your point, maybe it's just a, a complete lack of identity and having no idea how or when they should be running the football, but it's it's been a disaster. So, skinny, I guess it brings to this point looking at the rest of this Big 12 slate for UC, how many wins are left on UC's schedule? Not many. I mean, this is one this week. That's it's a winnable game in Baylor. I mean, I know people could argue, um, uh, you know, UCF, Houston, West Virginia. Can you? I mean, honestly, I, I know Iowa State's gotten better and is getting better, but they're at the bottom tier of the league at the moment. I think what you see is it's really hard in this league, man. This is a good league, and and you don't have dudes that match up across the board. I do think they have dudes as good as Iowa State and Baylor at the moment, but that's kind of 50-50, right? Then it comes down to – all right, their dudes are as good as my dudes. My dudes are as good as their dudes. Now we have to have a game plan and, and an execution level, and they're not there in either case. So, 
as I mentioned before, and, and, and it may come to rue for, for, for my alma mater, Kentucky, at some point, when all this conference expansion takes place, no one thinks they're the one going 2-10, and 10, and you're going to look up one day and it's going to be you. Yeah, I mean, looking at the bottom of the Big 12 right now, you talk about the Baylors, Iowa States, West Virginias, BYU, Cincinnati. I would agree with you that I think Cincinnati is in that mix in terms of overall talent. The problem is after seeing the last two games, it's tough to pick them to win the I mean, this last week was at home. That was yeah, in front of your home crowd that you put up 10 points. And you got smacked. You didn't just lose. You got smacked. Against an Iowa State team. That I, and this is what makes the Big 12 tough this year, I think. It's not that there's overwhelming talent at the top of the conference. Well, Texas but, and Oklahoma are. Texas and Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah, but yeah they're, that, good. they're good. They're yeah. good. But I'm just, I'm just saying, like, it's not like UC's schedule is an absolute ringer where every team is a nationally ranked team or anything. But the problem is there's no gimmies at the end of the Big 12. At all of those teams that we just talked about, Iowa State, UC, BYU, Baylor, those are all kind of bottom tier teams. West Virginia is in that group as well. Bottom tier teams in the Big 12 right now, and none of them are bad teams. All of them are capable of going out and winning a game, even on the road at UC. So I think that's the issue UC is going to run into is there's no uh, pick your bad AAC team that you know you can go to their place and win by 20 points. That's just not going to happen this year. Every game is going to be a war. Exactly. And that's that's the problem. I, do I think they finish this out 2-10? and 10? I don't. So don't, don't jump to that conclusion just because I said that. But you know, this is still going to wind up being a losing season. And that's fine because I didn't think this was going to, I think I predicted five and seven when we did our picks at the beginning of the year. And, um, you know, I think they're still in that vein of five and seven, four and eight ish. The, the, the key thing is then can you recruit and build a roster that can, that can do some things and, and is Scott Satterfield, the guy to do it. And that, that, that remains very much to be seen both ways, either, either, either whether he can do it or not, um, it just remains to be seen, and I don't I don't know if he can do it. And I don't know that he can't do it. One thing that's gotten a little crazy to me, though, is the fan perspective on all of this. And it, you can take this to the Bengals, too. I mean, you're talking about a guy in Zach Taylor who led the Bengals to a Super Bowl and an AFC championship in back-to-back years, and we're talking about the Bengals. And yet, this year, things don't go right for the first couple of games, and people are like, get him out of offensive coordinator, don't let him call plays, fire him as head coach. Zach Taylor is the reason this team is down. And, like, same thing with UC. It's like, You've got a brand new coach moving into a brand new conference, tons of change going on, and we're a handful of games into this thing, and people are like, get Scott Satterfield out of here. This is awful. I'm not saying they're wrong about that. I didn't think it was a good hire to begin with, and this is probably some of what comes with hiring a guy who people know was in trouble at his last job. You probably don't have as much leash there, but it is a little crazy now how like fan bases, it it seems like the goal of being a fan now is to be the most mad at as quickly as possible at your team. It is. I think you're right about that. What is the point of that? It seems like no fun to me. That's the way fans do everything now. No, and and I I think it's it's the instant gratification that we're we're all about these days of, you know, you have to win every game. I mean, I think think there'd be an NFL fan base if a team went 16-1 and that would be pissed at the one loss. How did – my coach is so stupid. How did we lose the one game? Um, And then my other favorite part is, like, no game has ever been lost because – it's sports and sometimes you don't execute, right? It's always the coach is dumb and the fan knows way more than them. Correct. I mean, we're as guilty as that as anyone, what we talk about here, but I mean, it's just, it is amazing how everyone is just convinced that the coach is terrible. Yeah. I think Uh, the difference between Satterfield and Zach Taylor is this though, is, is to your point is, is the majority of the fan base, even the ones that were hopeful and are still hopeful, there just wasn't a lot behind boy. What a great hire that was. It felt like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Great. 
Yeah, I think that's a big thing for UC that's that's hard right now is everyone it was so it was regional too. It wasn't like the yeah. guy was from Colorado and he was in trouble. It's like so there everyone was some prior knew. knowledge. Yeah, there was some prior knowledge the fan base knew about what this situation this dude was in. Yeah, he was 90 minutes away and everyone knew that it wasn't going so well and those fans did not like him. And then you take him off their hands essentially. That's a tough sell. And I think that's yeah. kind of what they're dealing with right now. All right, Kentucky skinny. They were embarrassed by Missouri 38-21 in Lexington, also in front of their hometown crowd. Kentucky was up 14-0 in the first quarter of this game and had the ball. Could have gone up by three touchdowns, end up losing this one by uh, 17 points. Something just isn't right about this offense, and it hasn't been from the start. I've been saying it all along. I don't know if it's the receivers and Devin Leary. I don't know if it's Devin Leary and Liam Cohen. I don't know if it's Liam Cohen and Mark Stoops not being on the same page because like the pace of this offense makes absolutely no sense. And it's nothing like two years ago when Liam Cohen was here and it was good. I have no idea what's going on, but it is not right. Yeah, you're right. And I can't put my finger on it either. I do think the pace of play is a thing. I know there were some conversations from people at NC state this past week that, you know, Devin was great in an up-tempo offense and why is Kentucky not doing that? And it's not suited to his strengths. And um, that's part of the reason why he's struggling. You know, then part of me also says, all right, if you're going to go slow and I'm okay with that. I mean, in the Benny Snell years, when you had a dominant defense and you had Benny Snell and Chris Rodriguez as his backup and you could pound the ball 45 times a game. So if you want to go slow, that's fine. How about you give Ray Davis 30 carries instead of 20 when he's averaging six a pop? Seriously. I mean, that just makes no sense the way they're handling the offense right now. And the other part about it, you mentioned the NC State thing with Devin Leary. Well, just two years ago, Liam Cohen was the offensive coordinator with Will Levis at Kentucky, and it didn't look like this. It was faster right. paced. It looked great. There was a lot of play action and and uh, more running stuff that they were doing. And that's just not there this year. It hasn't clicked. And I, it seems like everyone's pretty frustrated right now. And I don't know exactly where that's coming from. If it's like coaches butting heads and not on the same page, or if it's like, Devin Leary wasn't what he was supposed to be, and so that's holding them back. I, it it just doesn't seem like they are happy with the way things are going, and uh, I'm not sure if there's an answer for how to fix this. But Skinny, this season has now gone from undefeated with a fun matchup against Georgia that we were talking about and excited about where this season could be headed to. Keep I would imagine if I'm in your shoes, this is a disappointment in just two no weeks, question. right? Yeah, no question. I, you know, I'm sitting here watching the Missouri game, riding high, thinking, all right, six and one, I can take the loss to Georgia was ugly and. It's just, it's a one-off and all right, get a bye week and then Tennessee and, you know, you win that game, you go to a bad Mississippi state, you're eight and one and then Alabama, boy, what a fun eight and one matchup against Alabama that might be because they haven't looked like world beaters this year. And now I'm looking going, can they win another game? And, 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 you know, even win another game to go to a six and six mediocre bowl. Again, I shouldn't crap on that because it's still Kentucky football and that's kind of the standard of get you seven or eight wins and go to a bowl, whatever. But I don't know if there's a winnable game left on the schedule. I mean, they're, they're easiest game left is at Mississippi State, but it's on the road. And, you know, the other easier game is at South Carolina, but it's on the road. And they still have to play Louisville. I mean, this is this is a tough stretch to finish up. Uh, that's the thing. Uh, it's, it's not, you know, we're saying that about UC, too, about how many wins are left. And it's a little bit different of a feeling of like, man, they're in such a bad spot right now. Can they find a way to win a, another game, even if they're as good or better than their opponent? With Kentucky, it's more of a situation of, are they as good as any of the team? Like, I mean, Tennessee is always a difficult game, obviously, and they're ranked this year. Then you got to play at Mississippi State, which you know, whatever you think about Mississippi State, it's a tough road game in the SEC. Sure. Then you got Alabama, the South Carolina game on the road, like you mentioned, and Louisville on the road who's playing really, really well right now. All of those games just feel 
difficult. And uh, I, Skinny, who do you see more wins left for, Kentucky or Cincinnati at this point? Um, you know, that's a great question. Um, I'll, I'll go Kentucky because I, I do think they're going to figure something out in this bye week and come out of it and, and, and play well against Tennessee. I will say this, if they don't, if they come out of this bye week and throw a clunker in and lose a home game, then I'm not sure they do win another game the rest of the way. And for UC, I'll say this then. You know, if they lose to Baylor and it's ugly, um, you know, I, I you could argue they can beat you at UCF and maybe should, and they could beat Houston and maybe should. But honestly, you lose back-to-back home games, and and if it's an ugly fashion, I'm not sure they win another game the rest of the way. So, but that'd be a great prop bet because I'm not sure which way I would go with it at the moment. Yeah, I think Kentucky wins two more games at least. I'm not sure that I feel that way about Cincinnati right now. I don't know if I can find two more wins for them that I feel good about. Uh, I think I would roll Kentucky there, but it, it is a, that would be a fun prop bet to put up right now. Um, uh, the, the, this is bye week, and then they play Tennessee. I feel like the Tennessee week is going to be huge. Is it basketball? Is it basketball season? Right. Week? No, you're right. Like, because either you play well in that game and you win, it's like, okay, we'll, we'll stick with this team a little bit longer, or we're just completely in basketball mode in Lexington and who cares what happens. There'll be no one at, I guess people will show up for Alabama because it's Alabama. Yes. But aside from that, I mean, there just will not be much of a crowd. Nope. Uh, and finally, Ohio state skinny, they blasted Purdue 41 to seven. The Buckeyes host Penn state this weekend in a big time game. Uh, I guess the big news here was no sluggish start for the offense. Finally, they, uh, they scored on the first two drives of this game looked great. We also saw a backup quarterback, Devin Brown, finally get a little bit of run. We hadn't seen him since the Western Kentucky game. He passed for a 58-yard touchdown late in this game. He also uh, ran eight times for 20 yards and a touchdown. They were involving him in the red zone packages, doing some like wildcat stuff with them. So I I, I guess that's a new red zone wrinkle they're trying maybe. to yeah. run out there and, and give them a little more explosiveness, maybe down by the goal line. But um, anything, I, defense was dominant again, really. I, other than that, pretty much just a, a dominant performance all the way around from Ohio State. I think they're kind of getting to the point you wanted to see them get to if you're going to take them seriously as a as a title contender. Yeah, especially heading into the Penn State game. I mean, the, the touchdown run w- was not in garbage time either. It was the second touchdown of the game for Ohio State where he scored that, and maybe that is the new red zone wrinkle. I do love the fact, as a quarterback, he wears number 33. That, that's, so, that's so awesome to see. It's so weird. But here's the thing that would piss me off about that. They do this thing now where defensive players will wear the same number as you. Yes. Right. So there's a 33 on defense for Ohio State. I don't remember who it is, but wouldn't that drive you crazy if you were like a quarterback who was scoring touchdowns and they're like pictures of you? It's like, wait, is that the quarterback or is that the free safety thing? Exactly. Exactly. So, oh, they're using the free safety in the Wildcat. No, no, that's the backup <laughs> quarterback. He just wears number 33. That's all. I, I just, uh, I, I do not like, I like the fact that the quarterback has number 33 on. I don't like the fact that someone else also has his number on yes. defense because it's just like, you're just like a scared dude out there running the football now. It's great. Uh, you know, the defense, we, we mentioned how good they were again. They didn't have any turnovers in this game, but they did have three sacks and nine tackles behind the line of scrimmage. It felt like they're a little bit more um, overwhelming against this Purdue team. And maybe that's just the, the lack of competition. there. Yeah, I think this, I think this Penn State game is going to be a great game. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that one as well. All right, real quick, before we get into our betting picks, let's go to the college basketball side of things because we had some some news there. We're getting into media days for the different conferences. Uh, we'll start with SEC media day. Kentucky picked to finish fourth in the SEC this year. Tennessee, Texas A&M, Arkansas all picked in front of them. Alabama right behind them. Also, the new AP poll came out, or the first AP poll came out this year, I should say, and this was the lowest 
preseason ranking of the John Calipari era for Kentucky. They are ranked 16th in the new AP poll. Uh, Skinny, your thoughts on the lack of expectations for John Calipari and his Wildcats? Yeah, and you could argue that this might be his best roster on paper to start a season in a while, right? I mean, that feels that way to me. I'm surprised by the lack of expectation. I mean, I I heard this on uh, on the radio the other day. When was the last time Kentucky fans were mad at Mark Stoops because he's not meeting expectations while at the same time saying, well, we don't know what Cal's team is going to be like this year? Yeah, no, right. Um, Yeah, I I guess I get it because you've kind of earned it with the way the last few seasons have fizzled out. Um, and maybe that's going to be a good thing. Maybe it's a thing for a chip on the shoulder to start the season that you don't have. You don't start with the lofty expectations, suffer an early loss, and fan base goes crazy, and you start going crazy and 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 pressing and doing all kinds of weird things that Cal often does, and and kind of the season spirals out of control. You know, maybe this is one that they 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 do get a chance to build up the pole. It is funny. I got some. I'm going to put a story up tomorrow. Um, one of the websites I get odds from um, that occasionally I'll create into a story has Kentucky as the third the third lowest odds to win the NCAA tournament, which I found interesting. So Vegas is believing in Kentucky a little bit. Maybe it's just the Kentucky name that they realize people are going to probably bet on it. But that was interesting to me. That's what you always wonder with like Ohio state football and Kentucky basketball. When you see the betting markets, it's like, all right, how much of this is skewed just by them having such a national fan base that loves to bet on their games. It's like that. How much does that factor into? And I, I really don't know the answer to that, but um, it's interesting nonetheless. But yeah, I mean, it's just a weird spot to be in with Kentucky where they're not picked first in the SEC or second in the SEC, and they're not top 10-ish, at least in the country. So um, a little bit different starting point this year for the Cats. Also, in the Big 12, we had their media tip-off, and UC was picked 11th in the Big 12 conference. Kansas was picked to finish first in that conference. But the big news came out when Wes Miller took the the stage for his press conference at Media Day and announced that both Assis Bandago and Jameel Reynolds, the two big man transfers that they had added this year, are both trying to transfer for the second time. Both of them were denied their initial waiver to be eligible for this season. So as it stands right now, neither one of those big men are going to be able to suit up and play for Cincinnati. Sounds like they're going to exhaust every possibility to try to appeal that. Yeah. And I'll ask you, is this the NCAA trying to set a precedent with this in your opinion? Well, what I was told is like around the NCAA tournament time, all the coaches were told under no uncertain terms, you are not going to be able to get waivers for second time transfers this year if they're not a grand transfer. And so most of them took that into account when they were trying to get their rosters. I guess the difference for Cincinnati and West Miller in this case is they felt like the NCAA was leaving the door open for mental health waivers. If you had a mental health issue that you could document, you could transfer and then be given a waiver by the NCAA. As it turns out, the NCAA really isn't giving out many waivers, whether it be for mental health or whatever reason. They were just saying, you're not really going to transfer a second time. Now, they have approved a minimal percentage of some of those second-time transfer waivers now. And, of course, there was the big high-profile case with Tez Walker, the football player from North Carolina, who appealed several times, didn't get it, finally lawyered up, sued, and was able to get approved then. But that took months of legal action to get done. I think Cincinnati is going to go that same route here. I think West Miller's ties to North Carolina is giving UC fans some hope that maybe he'll be able to talk to the people at North Carolina and get the same thing done here. But I mean, skinny, even if that's the case, if we're talking three or four months for now, when this thing is settled down the road, 
you've got two new big men that are joining your team in time for Big 12 play that haven't really gotten in the flow with your team uh, over the well, course of the first few months. That's going to be a tough spot to step into. It is, but it, it, it beats the alternative of not having them for Big 12 sure. play because you're not going to need them with that charm and soft non-conference schedule they're playing. So you, you can get away with it. Yeah, It's going to be tough to integrate guys, but you know, for, for the most part, at least you're adding two capable Big 12-ish bodies to play with because if you don't, uh, Victor Locken is not a Big 12 player. I mean, I'm not even sure he's an American Athletic Conference player, for goodness sakes. Um, he's certainly not an all-Big 12 player, I will tell you that much. Um, so, you know, I, I they, they they certainly need these two guys just because of the size and what, what each brings. Um, you know, uh, Aziz averaged a double-double last year, for goodness sakes, on a team that beat UC in the NIT. So uh, he, he's, a, he's a big loss. You know, Jamil Reynolds was a guy – is he going to get in good enough shape to give you a ton of minutes or not? And I guess that's still open to debate, but uh, they were counting on these two guys and, and obviously they don't have them. And that all of a sudden takes at least one of those guys was going to be a starter. And maybe if you want to go really big, both, but certainly at least one of those, that's, that's a big absence out of the lineup. In my opinion. I think both of those guys are an upgrade to their front court from what yes. they currently have or what they previously had. So um, yeah, I think both of them would have played a lot of minutes. If they, if they can get one, you want to see Spandago. That's the guy that has yes. some yeah, real ability and changes the ceiling of your team, I think, and makes gives you a chance to be a little bit more than maybe what other people have you pegged to be going in, expected to finish 11th in the Big 12 this year. Without either one of them, though, it just does feel like that's going to be a bear to go up against a Big 12 conference with, again, basically running it back with the same front court you had last year, which was Odio Guam and Victor Locken. Vic- Hunter Dickinson, Victor Locken. How's that going to work? That's oh, pretty even i mean i i just wonder like you know they've got to play nku again coming to this year last year victor Locken couldn't handle nku's big men how's that going to go this year if he's back out there so uh yeah i think he's got he's got bigger problems to worry about in the big 12 but i'm just curious about curious about it from from that standpoint obviously and let's go back and 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 one of the things west miller did say big 12 media days about this whole transfer thing was that they the information they they got was that both would be eligible. It sounded like that they felt like these guys made decisions based on what they were told. Now this could just be him posturing, etc. But if that was the case, this, this something just doesn't smell right to me. And I get, listen, the whole mental health thing getting thrown around now, like a card that everybody can play is a shame because those that do have true mental health issues and are trying to do that for true mental health reasons, I feel sorry for. But if you're just doing this as the convenient excuse for a transfer, well then good for the NCA to say, you know what, enough, enough of this. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you wholeheartedly there. That's the one thing that's driving me crazy. Not And not about this specific case. I don't know these guys' situations. I and I don't know exactly what their appeals are or what that says. Wes Miller made it very, uh, very clear that he didn't want to give away the details of what was going on with those guys for their privacy. But everything in this world cannot be because of mental health. That, that can't just be like a get-out-of-jail-free card for everything. Yeah. Or, or if it is then you have to take a hard line stance of we're just not giving you any waivers, period. But like for him to immediately go to the, here's the rules that were set out. It's not going our way. And I'm just worried about what it's going to do. These guys mental health route. I I get it. He's doing that for lawyers and they're setting something up that they're going to do down the road. But that is everything in this country. Now, no matter what happens, it's like, well, just claim mental health and you'll get out of it or just claim mental health. And there's nothing anyone can really say about the way you're acting or what you did in this scenario. And to me, that's just like 
that's so weak. It's like, quit. Not, not that mental health issues are weak, but using that as an excuse for everything is it, it's actually problematic for the people that actually have to deal with those issues. Correct. Correct. Now, now for UC to be picked 11th in the league, Rick, I mean, whether that was taken into consideration of these two guys not being around or not, I mean, that seems about right, right? Yeah, and uh, this kind of feels like the football a little bit with the Big 12. Now, the Big 12 in basketball is so good at the top. so good. And so So deep. But again, it's kind of similar at the bottom. There just aren't any, like, bad teams, really. So you can say UC's 11th. You could say UC's 13th, whatever. I don't know how much of a difference that makes because it's like the worst team in the Big 12 or second-to-worst team in the Big 12, probably not going to be an easy out. If you go to their gym, probably not going to be an easy game. Rick and and for I've I've heard some chat around those that some of those that cover the program about this being an NCAA tournament team and and listen going through that that non conference schedule they can get through that with a loss or two at most in my opinion it's just ridiculously soft and that's fine because the Big Twelve beefs your 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 resume up if you go win games in the Big Twelve and I don't I think that's gonna be really hard I would say they they've done pretty much sim pretty much what they did last season quite honestly. Um, with their schedule. Now it's a very different circumstance because you do have the big 12 to beef up your strength of schedule on the back end. If you win. If you win. And the problem is the way they've set up these schedules the last two years in the non-conference, you've given yourself zero wiggle room. You have to win all the games you're supposed to win. I put that in air quotes to have a chance at making the tournament. If you schedule like this, because you've just get, you've got no chance for a big win to aid your, aid your uh, resume during the non-conference, your strength of schedule is going to be bad until you get into conference play. And no offense, I, to, Xavier, no offense to Xavier fans watching this. I mean, that may not even be a good win if it comes to if push comes to shove. It's not going to be a huge boost. And a lot of years, I think they do rely on that game to be yes. a pretty big boost to their schedule. This year, I don't know that it will be. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, it's the, I do not understand the scheduling philosophy at all. I didn't understand it last year when you were in the AAC, especially. This year, it makes a little more sense going to the Big 12, but I'll also tell you, like, in a year where you feel like you need to make the NCAA tournament, that's not how you get there by scheduling like that. I mean, you've you've really made it very difficult, in my opinion, to have a chance. Yeah. All right, real quick, let's go to uh, the Horizon League because they also came out with their preseason poll. NKU picked to finish first in the conference once again as a second year. Last year, they were picked to tie for – they are tied for the lead in the conference in the preseason poll. This year – Picked uh, all alone, Marquez Work, first team all conference, Sam Vincent, second team all conference. Um, Skinny, I, I've talked a little bit about this NKU team, but I think the biggest difference for me about this year's group, or the thing I'm most excited to see about this year's group, is the new front court. I mean, they've been a team that hasn't even looked right. at the front court the last two years on the offensive end. Now, they've had great rebounders and tough defenders in there, but they have not had an offensive weapon at all in their front court the last few seasons, even as they've been really good. This year, they've got Cade Meyer coming from Green Bay and Kean Tijere coming from Marquette. Those two guys, I think, could be difference makers and could elevate NKU to kind of a different level than they've been the last two seasons. Yeah, and how, how, might, how might that free up Sam Vincent and Marquez work as well, right? I mean, take some pressure off of them, A, and and force defenses to to you know not, not provide so much help on those guys. And, and so maybe it helps those two guys as well. And uh, both of those guys, one was selected first team all-conference in, in Marquez work, and Sam Vincent was selected second team. Um, in the preseason poll, and that's a pretty good place to start. It, it's a backcourt-oriented league, right? I mean, if, if you're a 
top flight big man, you're playing in, in a bigger conference and, 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 or you're already in the NBA for goodness sake. So this is a very guard oriented league Well, you start a hell of a good place with the guard spot. And then you've added a guy from a big program in Marquette and a guy who had has shown capability inside the league in, in Meyer. That's a, that's a pretty good roster right there without even going further than that. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the biggest question mark, I think, right now is the point guard spot. Because once again, you're trying to do what you did last year, which is you take a D2 kid, grad transfer, bring him up for one year, implement him into your system and say, all right, we need you to play at a championship level right away. Last year, it took a while. Xavier Rhodes got to that point, and he really made some big plays in the Horizon League tournament for them. But it, trying to do that two years back-to-back is not easy. So Put Michael the ball Bradley, in Sam Vincent's hands, man. Put it in Sam's hands. And that might be what they end up having to do. So I'll have my eye on point guard play and guard depth, especially uh, as we get into the season with the Norse. All right, let's get into our betting pick, Skinny. Last week, you were four and four overall. 27, 20, and one is your record. I was three and five last week, so I am now 23, 24, and one. Uh, Duke rolled over NC State 24 to three, so my best bet hit. The Falcons let you down in your four-team teaser. It was looking good. Was. Falcons gotcha. So uh, your can, best can bet I, did not hit. Can I tell you a real wager that I did hit on on Sunday or Saturday, please, rather? Please do. Well, as as any of those who watch this podcast know, I'm a Kentucky graduate, and I've mentioned it before. One of the only things I root for as a fan is Kentucky football. So you can imagine how disappointing my Saturday night devolved into. Woke up the next morning, had a few tickets, and I start looking through them, and I'm like, oh, here's one. I got Duke. I took Duke for you, minus three. I got Notre Dame. I got Notre Dame over. I got Pitt. I took Pitt plus seven, and I got Pitt over, and that went way over. And then I looked, and I went, oh, this is the one I got Kentucky on. And I looked, and somehow Missouri plus two and a half. I pushed the wrong button at the at the, at the the Tea Park. Beautiful. Don't you love it when that happens? That never works out in your favor. No, because you no, I did. I, I, went, I, went, I was trying to do some of it in my mind. I'm like, oh, I remember the one, and I, I was looking at scores. I'm like, man, I think I've got some of those. And then I'm like, oh, that's the one. I know I've got Kentucky on that. And I went, I pushed the wrong button, didn't even look at it. It never plays out that way, typically, never. when you hit the wrong button. And it's certainly not in, as part of a parlay. Um, I've had to it's go the other way. Of a game that I'm, I'm clearly rooting on the other side of that, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, that really couldn't have worked out better for you. So uh, I'm glad that that played out the way it did. Let's get into our games for this week, which, by the way, Kentucky and the Bengals are both on buys yeah. this week. So we only have two games to pick right here. That, of course, is the uh, Cincinnati Baylor game. It's Baylor at Cincinnati. That's at noon. And uh, I'm actually scrolling here because I put in a spread, but it was from earlier in the week, and I believe it's changed. It has changed. So Cincinnati is a three and a half point favorite now. The total is 50 and a half. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm looking at. Um, my total is 50, but close enough. And I'm going to go, I'm going to give UC one more fighting chance here. I'm going to say they get some things on offense right. They make a few big plays. Baylor turns it over a couple of times. I'll go Bearcats 30 to 24. So you see in the over for me. Okay. Uh, UC is two and four against the spread so far this season. Baylor actually one, four and one. So neither one of these teams have done well from a betting perspective. I'll be honest. I don't feel this way from a talent standpoint, but I can't get the vision of last week's 30 to 10 loss to Iowa state in front of the crowd at Nippert out of my head. I feel like things are heading in a bad direction for this UC team. I get it. Uh, I'm going Baylor 28, UC 14. So Baylor and the under for me. Also at noon, we have the uh, Penn State at Ohio State game. The Buckeyes are four and a half point favorite in this one. The total is 45 and a half. 
Yeah, I think some of this line is, A, it's at home, and it should be Ohio State favored. I think, B, until Penn State gets over the hump, it's hard to think they're going to get over the hump. But I think no matter what, this is a close game. Two really good defenses. Um, I think it's going to be played close to the vest because of that. Nobody wants to make a mistake and a big mistake. I think Ohio State, because they are at home, um, does pull out the win. But I'm going to go Ohio State 20, Penn State 17. So Ohio State with the win, Penn State with the cover, and well under the total in my opinion. Yeah, that total has actually come down by three points since earlier in the week on Tuesday when I first looked at it. It was at 48.5. It's now down to 45.5 as we're recording this on Thursday morning. So uh, you are going Penn State, and you said the under, correct? Correct. Yeah, 20 to 2017. Yeah, 37. All right, I'm going Ohio State 24, Penn State 13. So I'm going the easy cover for Ohio State, but also staying under that 45 and a half number. I think a lot of people are going to be on that under in this game with both Which defenses. Means it'll be 38-31, the final. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly. All right, Skinny, in terms of a best bet for this week, what do you have that you like? Yeah, I, I got to do it. I got to go back to my four-team NFL teaser, right? Of course, yeah. I'm taking Seattle from eight down to two. I'm taking um, Kansas City down to a pick at home against the Chargers, which can be dangerous. I'm going to take Detroit up to nine at Baltimore. Uh, that can be a little dangerous because of the road team, but I'll take Detroit up to nine. And then I'm going to take Las Vegas down to three. They're on the road at Chicago, but Chicago's starting a guy I've never heard of at quarterback, and it's hard for me to, to do anything with that one. That's that's a little bit of a roll of the dice for me on that one, but I'm taking two road teams, which I don't like to do in teasers, but it feels like, you know, that just feels like the right way to go this week. Th- that, that seems like a pretty good call. I've got a weird one for you here. All right. I'm going to go San Francisco 49ers first half line. Ooh, what is it? I'm looking it up as we speak because I don't because I actually well, don't. That's half of what the line itself is. And yeah. they are a – where are they? Oh, they're the Monday night game, aren't they? Yeah, they're the Monday they, night game. Yep, they are 8-15. So the first, first half line I'm going to guess is probably anywhere from three to four over Minnesota. It is three and a half. Okay, so it's got 49ers three and a half first half line is what I'm going with. I just feel like this is a spot play all the way coming off that loss. They're just going to absolutely give it to a bad Vikings team for the first half. And if not, then Bengals fans can maybe go, huh, this may be a winnable game now. Would you I mean, would you feel that way, though? I If I'm a Bengals fan, I think I want the 49ers to look great in that game against the Vikings. Otherwise, you worry about you being the. Get yeah, right a, a little chink in the armor from last Sunday was Brock Purdy's performance, right? This is true. He did not look good. Yeah. And, and maybe this was a guy who was drafted last overall, right? I mean. Right. I mean, and maybe it was a one-off, but maybe this is the regression to the mean of, of Brock Purdy. Could be. All right. That's all we got from our betting segment. Let's get into some Ask Skinny Anything. And Skinny, we'll start this one with uh, one from me. Okay. Because if you noticed, if you're watching this on YouTube – I am not in the normal setting that we do this podcast in. I'm not in my office doing it. Is that a cigar humidor? By the way, is that a cigar humidor behind you with all the bourbon on top of it? Yeah. Nice. Yes. I didn't yes. know you were a cigar guy. A little bit. A little bit, yeah. Okay. All right, nice. Uh, so basically my ceiling caved in in my office last night at like 11 p.m. So I stayed up till 4 or 5 in the morning cleaning up that mess. What is your worst home disaster that you've ever had to survive? We had um, a mirror, actually, that, that, that for whatever reason, the glue came off the 
where it was attached to the wall in, the, in a bathroom, just all of a sudden come off and shatter in a billion pieces. That I've had two. I've had that one. And then I had one about a year ago where I hear this click, click, clicking up in the attic. And I'm like, oh, what the hell is up there? Then I hear crash, bang, boom in a back bathroom. Well, I didn't see what it was, but it was trying to get through this. It had crashed part of the ceiling through, not a big part, a little hole. Um, my son-in-law actually came over and then actually put up a nice board to kind of cover it up. We got the critter getter. It was a raccoon that was up there. Thank God he didn't get through and get in the house. I'd have freaked out like no way. Those things are nasty. So yeah, the, 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 the mirror shattering was crazy because you're just sitting here all of a sudden here, crash, bang, boom, nothing moved, nothing shook. It just came off the wall. You wrestling a raccoon though oh, would no part of be it. an incredibly viral video. Yeah, I want no part of it. They are insanely strong though. Yes, they are. At my old house, you know where I lived, it was like on a a lot of property, a lot of land yep. around it. We had a big cellar that like wh- that's where our HVAC was and stuff, like an actual old school cellar. You went outdoors and opened. I remember, doors I remember up you guys were afraid to go in it, right? Yeah, there's snakes and all types of stuff. Yeah, you, yeah. you didn't want to go down there. Um, but they had these big heavy storm doors. So at some point we start hearing stuff underneath the house, we're like what's going on? Turns out a, a raccoon had had its babies underneath there. So oh my lord. Tearing up insulation and stuff. So eventually I go, okay, no problem. I'm gonna lay a giant rock over top of the storm door and everything. So this big raccoon couldn't get back in. I didn't know its babies were in there. Buddy, when I tell you this raccoon ate through and ripped up our storm doors, wow. I mean just tore apart and ate part of the bottom of it so it could get back to its babies. Unbelievable strength these things have. Baby I put killer. a boulder on this. Baby thing. killer boring. That's your new name, baby killer boring. I'd rather us not start that as a hashtag. Ask any anything works best for this segment, okay. I would say. All right. um, is there a conference or team that you seem to never get right betting-wise? Army and Air Force have burned me multiple times this year already. Actually, um, the flip side of that for me is I've been on the right side of Wyoming, I think, every every week this year. And I don't know why. It started irrationally in week one, and I've kind of followed them through. That That's a team I'm usually right on. Let, let me think about that. Not one in particular. I will tell you, most years, this is funny because I'm in a pool where um, we put up 100 bucks, a bunch of us, and you make uh, 12 college picks. A guy puts the pool together, um, and then we pick all the NFL games. It's against the spread, and then it's confidence pool. So out of the 12, the game that you think is you're most confident in, that's your 12-point game. It's a, we all know how confidence pools work, but this is against the spread. I think one year under Brian Kelly, I miss Notre Dame on either side of it every single time. Every single time I miss Notre Dame. And that's why I felt good the other night. I took a roll of the dice on them against USC the way we talked about them last week, and we weren't happy with how they were playing. I'm like, one more roll of the dice because I don't trust Lincoln Riley. I don't trust USC. I really didn't trust Notre Dame. But I'm like, if you're going to take a stand, here's the place. So I finally was on the right side of Notre Dame. I felt good about that. Yeah, I would tell this original question person uh, that I, it's not so much a conference or a team. For me, it's more a league. It's called the NFL. That's the one I never get right. That's <laughs> Yeah, I do bad at that. I will say in my confidence pool, I usually finish pretty high up because I do really well in the NFL. I'm a disaster this year. I can't trust anybody in the NFL, good or bad. I don't know how anyone ever bets in the NFL, but that goes double for this year. This year has been. It does. It's weird. Uh, This from our guy Jason says, preparation of the battle space question. Could 11 Bengal Tigers defeat 49 Gold Rush era workers in an open field with the implements of the Gold Rush era? Um. The little pickaxe that the, my men would have, and maybe even they'd have a, probably a shotgun, I would think, or a rifle of some kind. I still think the Tigers would maul them before they could even 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 muster up. There, there might be only two or three surviving Tigers left, but they'd all get the 49ers. I, I mean, I'd like to say yes, but there's 49 of these dudes we're saying. 49 yeah. of them? 
Well, if the tiger's coming at you, do you have enough time to grab the shotgun or do you have to do it with the little pickaxe you're doing it with? And that's not going to get the tiger. The tiger will maul you first. Good point. You're not winning with a pickaxe, especially if we're going back to those times where these guys weren't like, this wasn't LeBron. You know what I mean? Like they were five, 10 dudes with guts. I mean, yeah. So, so yeah, if the, if the Bengal tigers attacked, like, you know, while they were doing their, their, uh, their gold digging, um, and they didn't have a time to reach for the shotgun, no chance. They, no chance. Yeah. I'm with you. That's, that's a tiger question for sure. Uh, is skinny a Halloween guy? Nope. Not even in, in the least. I will sit at the end of my driveway and give out the candy. And I appreciate the little dudes that come around and it's all cutesy. I mean, honestly, I'm the one that if you're a high schooler, I'm like, what are you doing? What do you, what, seriously, I, I give you the candy, but it's almost like, really, what, what, what are doing? Just, no, I'm not. I will say we have a street where two, two families are very Halloween oriented to their credit. It's not me. They have gone all out on Halloween decorations in their front yard and kudos to both because for the work that they put into it, that if that's their thing, good for them. Um, I, I got to give a tip of the cap for what they did. Um, I may even take a picture, Rick, and send it to you so you'll know what I'm talking about maybe for next week. So kudos to them. But for me, no, I'm not I'm not a Halloween guy at all. Uh, so I don't know if you saw my tweet from a week ago, but I was dropping my son off at my parents' house and I s- – drive past some Halloween decorations and they have one of the houses in my parents' neighborhood has a noose, like a a full noose with a pumpkin body hanging from it. And I drive back past there today as I'm dropping myself off again before we do this podcast. And I see they now have a sign out in front of it that says the answer is no, Karen. So I'm guessing they got a few complaints from that. Yikes. Okay. Nice. Um, I know that neighborhood, as you know, because I lived on that street that you lived on. So, and my daughter lives there too. So I'm going to have to, next time I go over to my daughter's before Halloween, I'm going to have to take a look. Yeah. What's the, the street when you pull in that's directly across from like Thomas Moore Parkway? Is that the street my daughter lives on? I'm going to have to ask her then that's fraternity, I believe. Okay. Yeah. It's the like third house on the right, right. When you turn in. Okay. All right. I'm going to, that's yeah. Okay. I'll have to ask. She'll know. They've had some drama in that neighborhood with decorations because when uh, Trump got elected, some guy went all crazy and was like writing all his quotes, you know, the things that had some vulgar words in it. He was like writing like in big signs on his house and on his car and everything. And people did not see that. Yeah, people did not like that either. So (laughs) they got a wild neighborhood over there, even though it's just the middle of Crestview Hills. It is. I write exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right. This is this one came from the DMs. Had to go anonymous here because Uh it was a little sensitive, I guess. As a completely moronic 19-year-old, I attempted to steal a signed Pete Rose Hit King frame jersey off the wall of Brick Street in Oxford and made it pretty far out of the bar before being caught and arrested. I was initially charged with felony theft because the jersey was valued at over $500. My question to Skinny, in his younger years, after a night of binge drinking, what's something he got away with in college? And also, if you were to snag some memorabilia from a bar, what jersey, photo, etc. would he risk it all for? Side note. I was not aware Pete Rose was an awful human at the time. Judge me for the theft, but I don't, but don't judge me for picking Pete. I was ignorant. Yeah. The worst thing I did, I think in my, in, that, I, that I got away with was some friends and I, um, we didn't break in because they left their door unlocked, but we knew some neighbors were gone and we walked in and took a fifth of Jack Daniels. I mean, That's so not too bad. Yeah. It, it, I mean, you I shouldn't break, break into people's I feel, houses, but I, I tell you what, here's what we, we, we took a fifth of Jack Daniels and a box of Zesta crackers. Don't ask me why we took the Zesta crackers. Because you were young and dumb and just wanted Correct. to do something Correct. at that point. So I, 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 I feel totally, totally ashamed by that to this day. I don't even know if they knew it was gone to be quite frank, but 
It was like, we thing was, it's like, if you're going to leave for a week and, and we know you left your door unlocked, that's a, you shouldn't leave your door unlocked. Even in the era that that was, that was in the, the, the late seventies, early eighties, you didn't leave your door unlocked then, but we always knew they did. And we're like, well, we can't steal our parents' booze. So whose booze do, oh yeah, they've got booze. Yeah. Let's go down to Jimmy's house and raid his parents' <laughs> liquor cabinet. Exactly. Nice. All right. That's all we got. It's good stuff. Appreciate the questions. Thanks to you, Rick. Uh, good luck with getting that ceiling fixed. I did see the damage. I, I am glad it's not worse than what it could have been, but I know that's just that's that's a terrible way to uh, to, to, to have to deal with. So just be thankful the dog is okay. That's all. Exactly. That's a good point. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Popery edition presented by Blake, the attorney Mason.